Welcome to The Great Unlearn. Join me, your host, Cal, as we dive deep into understanding and unlearning the programming within us. Let's uncover your inner truth for a life with newfound purpose and freedom. Get ready to question it all in The Great Unlearn. I noticed this internal judge voice that was like video games. When I was your age, I was out riding my bike, getting in trouble. But in watching them, I realized, oh, wow, these are not the games that we had when we were kids. All of the incredibly creative, innovator minds, what have they been working on for the last 15 years? Software. A huge portion of that is gaming. What if I could basically replicate that experience, the scoring and tournaments and level ups, being able to build your character over time and you're running around your yard, you're running around trees, you're shooting your buddies, but you're getting a full augmentation on top of that. So when I hit you, I see how many points I took. Maybe I see an upgraded blaster on the ground or a health kit. We wanted to find a way to digitize this physical projectile into a signal. So hit detection is one thing, but if I don't know who it was that actually shot that gel at me, I can't give that credit to that person, one. And two, I can't deduct a certain amount of health depending on what blaster they are wielding. If you have your sniper, you're going to do a significant amount of damage. If you have your SMG, you're shooting full automatic, but each time you hit me with that gel, you're not doing nearly as much damage, bringing the strategy and the skill required to play a first-person shooter video game into the controls are your body. Now, when you get eliminated, you have to run back to your base, point at your own base, pull the trigger, and that respawns you. If I'm getting low on health, I want to take cover, switch over to health pack, go back to my SMG, go back to my revolver, whatever, and I'm back out battling again. It's gonna Bro. it's gonna be really fun. Come on. I mean- <laughs> it's funny, I was trying to, you know, as I was kind of prepping a little bit today, the thing that always comes to mind when I when I think about gel blasters is um, you know, I had reached out a number of times to invest and you graciously said, dude, we're, we're good right now. Like I can self fund this and it's growing and it's great. And totally honored that and respected that. And was just holding out like maybe someday he'll need some funds. And it happened to be on the same day. And I know I've told you this, but when Ty Ward, who was, you know, back then he and he and I were doing a lot of deals together. He and I had been working on this deal for six months. Yep. And at, we had a deal in place to come in to be the equity for this kind of growing company. And that day they, they changed the terms. And originally we were going to be able to buy up to 20%. They came to us on that day and said, yeah, we only want you to buy 10 total and then 5% on that day. And we were supposed to buy 10%, 5%. And then they upped the valuation on us. <laughs> we'll take the same amount of money, but you get half as much. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that's kind of not how it works. If you want to cut back the amount of equity, you need to give us a better deal. And it became apparent to us that these just weren't guys we wanted to be in business with. They had some other stuff probably going on. They probably raised a little bit of money from their friends at a better valuation and, you know, from, from people who maybe weren't as sophisticated. And I get that, but that was done. 
you know, we're like, you guys can, you know, basically fuck off. Like we don't do business like this. We had a deal in good faith. And literally that day you texted me and, uh, it was obviously as you and I both feel, it's just a sign. Like, of course, like that was not who we want to be in business with. And, and more than just being in business with you, it's just been so awesome to be part of this ride. It's probably been, oh, it's coming up on three years. I feel like this January is when we've had that initial conversation. Um, but I've known about it since before then. And, you know, I don't know, you and I've talked about you coming on the podcast too. So this has been a long time coming. Yeah. I'm and so stoked to be here. Yeah, man. Yeah, so really welcome. Fun. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, I'll tell you really quick. The thing that, the thing that got me, um, you had mentioned like, you know, yeah, I get it. Like you may not need the cash right now, but it might be fun to do this with your friends and like have some people that you're doing it with and kind of like, you know, it could just be fun. And that really stuck me. I was like, yeah, you know, that would be fun. Like, and that's when kind of the light bulb went off that I wanted all of the early investors to just be friends of mine and other business founders and, you know, people that have been through a similar journey. Um, and I, it was very interesting. I noticed that, you know, in, in previous companies when raising money, you know, I would never have wanted to raise money from friends. Just go to VCs, you know, get it funded, whatever. And, and I realized like, wow, what a difference. Like I, I could tell that this was going to do well and I didn't want to just give that upside to some VC I'd never met. I wanted to give the most upside to my friends and family and, you know, other, you know, people that have been through similar journeys and have done the hard work, you know? And so, uh, you were the one that really kind of put me onto that concept. And, uh, you know, I think there's, there's a pretty good group of people that are going to do pretty well off of this. So dude, it's, it's so cool fun. when I see the kind of list of all our friends that are involved and, and I didn't even know, I mean, after the first round was obviously me, um, just you and Tarun in the first me and Tarun. That was it. That's and it. then the second round, uh, yeah. opened up to a, a lot of our buddies and, you know, it's so cool. It's been such a crazy, I mean, really a rocket ship, the, the way things have gone and, the issues you've had to solve for given supply chain stuff and legal and trademarks and, you know, now patents, which, you know, all this stuff is, I mean, it's such a crazy, I mean, I, again, I haven't had an experience in something this, um, I guess complex. I've been mm -hmm. investing in a lot of different things, but you know, part of it too is you and I are so close that I get, I get those updates and you, you share like all the things that are going on. It seems like every time I talk to you, it's just, I'm blown away with what's happened in the advancements and um, you know, we'll get into all that stuff and in particularly the, the technology side of it, which is fascinating, which I think was the, probably the most challenging thing to solve for because that, that is the, the door that takes this thing to, we, we don't really know the portal. Yeah. It really, there you go. Well done. <laughs> You're in the portal now. That's right. And the portal is the new, uh, the newest, uh, part of the toy company. Right. So anyway, how, why, why gel blasters? How did this thing come about? That's a good question. Um, well, I think how, how it became gel blaster. That was kind of my next thing was after just witnessing my two boys who were at the time eight and 12 
and just how much they were playing their video games. And, you know, like we mountain bike and we wake surf and we snowboard every year. And we, you know, I mean, they're like pretty proficient, you know, in their bodies and, um, but, but they still like, they really love playing their video games, you know, and they, they would really gravitate toward them. And, uh, I kind of had this, I noticed this internal judge voice of mine that was like video games. When I was your age, I was out riding my bike, getting in trouble, you know, throwing rocks through old windows and, (laughs) you know, get like, why aren't you guys out tearing up the neighborhood, you know? And, uh, then I was like, okay, easy there, you know, judgy judge. Um, you know, and I was like, why don't you just get curious, right? Like, why is this, what's going on here? Um, and that's when I realized as after I started really watching them play and started playing with them, you know, <laughs> little fuckers, they, they're so good and yeah. they would just kill me over and over. I was playing Fortnite with them, you know, and they're just laughing at me. You noob, you know, <laughs> I'd fall out of the sky and they would just bam, kill me again. Then I fall out of this guy again, bam, kill me again. And I'm like, uh-huh, I'll get you back. I'll just make my own game and then bring you into it. Yes. Um, so, but in watching them, I realized like, oh, wow, these are not the games that we had when we were kids, like at all. And then I started thinking, I was like, well, when you were out riding your bike, messing around, was, was I really making like the healthy choice? Not at all. I was, I mean, I just, all I wanted to consume was candy. All I wanted to do was do whatever was the most fun, most selfish thing I could possibly do. That's who I was as a kid. And so I realized that it was just that, my options indoors were not that compelling. It was like MacGyver didn't come on till seven o'clock, you know, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air came, came on in the evenings. Like I'm out all day. There's nothing to do at home. Right. And, um, our kids have access to some of the most engaging, most compelling, most like engineered by behavioral, you know, psychiatrists to, to ping their dopamine receptors continuously right and be as sticky as possible and these games are incredible you know and and while our outdoor activities are largely unchanged you know sure we have spike ball now and we have pickleball is getting more popular although that was out when we were kids we just didn't know about it is that right yeah like in the 60s oh shit. it started yeah and then it just popped off in like the last eight or ten years um but you know i realized that okay pa- parents now Parents these days, like we're up against a bit of an unfair fight. If you think about all of the innovation and all of the incredibly bright, creative, innovator minds, what have they been working on for the last 15 years? Software, right? Because it's, it's so easy to get funded, right? You get to, you got these mega companies like Apple that are making you this incredible hardware that you can write your experiences on. And among software, a huge portion portion of that is gaming. We're talking like maybe three to $400 billion a year industry, depending on where you look, depending on what the report is. But, you know, a three to $400 billion a year annual industry, um, to give an example, Fortnite at one point uh, was doing 7 billion in revenue annually. And all they were selling was flexes. So oh, really, it's not like Madden mobile where you could spend hundreds of dollars and then just have this super overpowered team, right? You cannot buy, um, more lethality or 
the ability to, to beat other players in Fortnite. All you buy are skins and dance moves. And they're just flexes. And they were doing $7 billion a year selling flexes. That is crazy. It's crazy. And so I realized, wow, man, if no one does anything about this, if no one makes the decision to like build some hard stuff, because software is not going to get our kids off the couch by itself. Now, yes, our system will have a lot of software involved, but it's got to be something that gets them out in the physical world. And so I just kind of started playing this thought experiment of like, what if we could build that? What if I could, what if I could basically replicate that experience, but instead of having to use your hands on the controllers to like, because they kept beating me and I was like, well, I know what I want my character to do. Yeah. I want to jump behind that bush. I want to roll over that car and I want to swing up and shoot you in the head, you know, but I can't get my fingers that, you know, like my brain knows what it wants to do, but you have to rep, you have to put so much time into having those controls become second nature. I don't have that time. And I was just thinking, and so I started taking the kids to play Fortnite or not Fortnite. We took, started taking the kids to play paintball, which was kind of the closest thing I could come up with you know, that was, that was like that, but in, and paintball was awesome. They loved it. Actually Achilles, who's now 16 was 12 at the time, loved playing paintball. Cruz came to play with us once he was eight. I think a couple of them oh, drew blood yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, y'all can have paintball. Yeah. Um, but it was so much more exciting than playing the video game, but you didn't have all the stuff in the video game that makes a video game. So uh, engaging with the, the scoring and the different different blasters cause different amounts of damage and, you know, health packs to rebuild your shield. And like paintball, one time I dove behind a barricade at the very beginning of a game. It was like 45 minutes. We're finally going into play. You know, I dive behind this barricade and I guess my foot was hanging out and I got a paintball right in the foot and your referee's like, okay, you're out, you know? And I'm like, oh, sweet. And I get to go sit for 20 minutes till the next game. You know, I was like, no video game would ever be like that. No one would play it. You know, it's, yeah. not, it's not one shot you're out, you know? And so then I started thinking like, could we create something that is like, has the excitement and the kind of consequence that comes along with the paintball experience, but that has, you know, that also has all the digital elements and the scoring and the and tournaments and level ups and achievements and, you know, being able to build your character over time. And so that, that was kind of the initial thought experiment. And you know, I knew at that time that augmented reality was coming and is coming and there's billions and billions of dollars of R&D being put into it by these, you know, biggest companies in the world, right? And, you know, VR is like kind of okay, whatever, but AR is going to be a thing and it'll be the next kind of big consumer technology. And so I figured, oh, wow, interesting that this experience to really get it right and feel like you're in a video game you kind of need that augmented reality layer. So you're seeing through the glasses and you're running around your yard, you're running around trees, you're shooting your buddies, but you're getting a full augmentation on top of that. So when I hit you, I see how many points I took right off over the top of your head. Maybe I see an upgraded blaster on the ground or a health kit over on the ground over there. You know, when I hit a target, there's a big explosion that happens in AR. So it's this kind of blending of the digital and physical world where we're like, really meeting our kids where they're at, where they want to be. And, you know, the, I'm checking my boxes, you're running around, you're playing. And when the game ends, you, now you're just looking at another human in the eyes. 
you got to learn how to do that. Right now, when their game ends, when they're playing, it, they're, people just disappear. There's no like real connection with those people that they're chatting with while they're playing, right? Um, so that that's kind of where the where the thought experiment came in is is really ultimately because they kept beating me over and over, and I was like, what if I just and you're a competitive made, son of a bitch. What, what if I just made my own game where I could just point at you and shoot you with one of these blasters? <laughs> yeah. I like my chances at that point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so how did the blaster come about? Like, can you describe to people kind of what the, the mechanism is and how it's different than paintball nerf and these other things? Yeah, I think it's kind of like, um, you know, we pulled out all the blasters. We owned probably 30 nerf blasters. We own laser tag and uh, these augmented reality games that use like an iPhone next to each blaster, you know, paintball markers. We had airsoft. Airsoft lasted like three days at our house because we, we had a big thing of BBs, plastic BBs. And after maybe uh, two or three days of playing, it was like down to here. Yeah. And I'm just kind of looking out in the yard like, hey, nobody picking up these things. Yeah. We're just literally spraying plastic all over the yard. And with airsoft and paintball, it is like you have to really pay attention to the kids. Like you, if you take your eye protection off, like you get these things taken away for like a week. You know, it, it's serious, right? Um, because you can really do permanent eye damage. And so we just kind of took all the pros and cons of everything. We, we essentially, we use this, the ammo is kind of like um, those little water hydrating balls that are like those sensory balls that have been around for a long time. Actually, the material was created for uh, agricultural purposes back in the sixties to help um, soil retain moisture in arid climates. So it's actually, to you're, you're essentially watering your yard, right? And the ammo also is really, really affordable, super inexpensive. Um, so we, when we would go play paintball, one of the hard things about paintball is it was pretty pricey. Like every time Achilles and I would go play, we're spending 400 bucks on oh, paint shit. in like two or three hours. Right. And we started playing like a couple times a month. I'm like, damn, I got a thousand dollar a month paintball bill. You know, yeah. ask Ty, he played a lot more than that. Right. I'm, yeah. I can only imagine how much, you know, I'm sure he was getting a deal on his paint, but that paint is expensive. Uh, 10,000 paintballs is about 400 to $450 depending on where you are, 20 to $25 a bag of 500. Um, we sell our ammo, 10,000 gelets for our consumers is five bucks. <laughs> so wow. what, what's one of the fun things to do as a kid is shoot a whole bunch of ammo, right? Nice. So full auto, electric powered, charge it with a USB-C cable, built-in lithium-ion batteries, right? No fiddly taking out batteries and using special cables, no compressed air. Um, also, it leaves no mess these little gel balls just burst and then they evaporate and essentially just disappear. They're 99.9% .9 water, 0.1% starch. Um, and so the reason we created the blaster company was I feel like when you're creating a product or a company or a market, you really need to continually test your assumptions and make sure that you're not just drinking your own Kool-Aid, right? So we could have built this entire thing in stealth mode raised 15, $20 million, given up a huge portion of the company and launched with this video game in the real world concept. Or we can sell stuff along the way, right? And we can test our assumptions along the way. So let's just make a plain Jane analog version of the blaster that doesn't do any scoring, doesn't do any kind of, you know, digital tech or anything like that, but, but is the foundation. My, the, the hypothesis I was really trying to test is like, 
if there's no physical projectile, it's a non-starter. Laser tag is just boring. It's just not fun. You just run around pointing at each other, seeing who's going to like come back to life first and who you, you know, who's going to kind of win the the timing game, right? Kids that play laser tag, which is a billion dollar a year industry globally, um, play 1.6 times per year. So like once every nine months, a kid has a birthday party, laser tag place, they go play laser tag. It's not something that kids are playing all the time. It's, it's just kind of boring because there's no consequences. Right. Um, and so I was like, there has to be some risk, right? If you look at flow, right. And you want to get people into like full presence, there's gotta be some kind of consequence, something at stake, right. Yeah. To like bring you into presence because when you get hit by a bunch of gelats in the neck at 230 feet per second, you feel it. Yeah. It hurts. And you know, it hurts enough that like you are paying attention while you're playing. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so we were like, okay, well, you know, we can make blasters that just shoot these gels and we can test and see if just the plain Jane blaster is fun. And if people like it, and if we can sell those at a good margin and grow that company, then we'll know that the foundation for this thing that we're building and, and going to be releasing in a few years is actually sound. Right. So give us a chance to kind of test that theory. And I did not realize how fast that side of the business would scale and how much people love it. Um, but they're super fun. It's hard to play gel blasters with your friends and not just be laughing hysterically. They're, they really um, incite hysterical laughter because it's like enough pain that when you're getting lit up, you just can't not laugh. <laughs> totally. And you're running around and we've done it a bunch with our friends that are our age and with our kids and our kids' friends. And it's just, it's, it's really for everybody. That's what's so rad about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I, I remember when we had that initial meeting, I feel like there were probably eight or nine of us around the table at your house. And that was the company. That was a whole company. That was a, it was a all company, all hands meeting. Yes, (laughs) It was like eight of us. Where are you now? I think we're 91 employees right now. Damn. How is it managing that? You know, it's, it, it, it's a lot. It can be a lot. And you know, the interesting thing is I have tried to really stay true to, I'm not going to let myself get completely sucked in to, you know, building a company anymore. I'd made that mistake in the past with DJI, with 3D Robotics. And, you know, I was like, I am going to have kind of a, a container of my life that works for me, that I could, that it's very sustainable that I could live for the next 20 years and feel very fulfilled, even if I don't get to some big liquidity event. And from within that structure, I want to create and build as much as I can, but I'm not going to um, kind of forsake my own well being and my own enjoyment of my life just because this thing is really big and now a whole bunch of people's paychecks rely on it. And man, it starts getting really interesting because, you know, it's Tuesday today. So Christy and I were just out foiling this morning on Lake Austin, only boat out there, complete glass water, just the two of us on the boat. You know, we each got 30, 40 minutes behind the boat of, of, you know, great foil time. And I do that every, pretty much every Tuesday and Thursday morning. And then, um, you know, I, I, I like to play a lot. We like to go down to our boat, you know, and, and spend a lot of time on the boat down in the Caribbean. And, I, I, I find myself sometimes struggling with like, you know, 
maybe feeling guilty that I'm not doing more and working harder and putting in 80, 90 hour weeks because, hey, this thing is so important. It's growing so fast. You've got investors now, you've got all these employees and, you know, there's all these competitors coming into the market space. And, you know, I think one of the things that has allowed me to, you know, feel like this is sustainable is, is really being true to myself and what makes me feel good. And if I'm feeling good, I'm generally making better decisions for the business. And, um, yeah, you know, I think one of the hacks was to build a company around play. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that's really our mission in the world is to get more kids outside playing. But by way of that, we're getting a lot of people out playing more, um, you know, parents and, and older kids. And really like every single one of us has a kid that lives inside of us, right? That, that kid that we were growing up is not gone and dead. They're still part of us. And so let's get those kids outside playing. And, you know, so therefore we, we instituted, um, maybe nine months ago, I had this idea. I was like, you know, if, if I want to make sure that my inner child has kind of a, a co-pilot seat in my life and in this business, right? I'm making blasters. He should have a voice. He knows about what fun is. He knows about what is a cool experience or not, right? So let's let him ride up front with me and, and be part of this conversation. And it was in one of these meditations that um, I realized, wow, you know, one of the things that I love the most going to school, maybe the thing that I love the most going to school was recess. And every day when Cruz would get home, actually his recess just ended. Now he has PE, he's in sixth grade. But all through elementary school, every day, what was your most fun thing about the day? Recess. What was your most fun thing about today? Recess. Every day, right? Loves recess. I'm like, why did we get a, why did, why did we stop doing recess? You know, we should just do recess. What if we gave all of our employees the opportunity to do whatever they want that lights them up, that is fun, that allows them to blow off some steam, that, that gets them ready for the afternoon? What if we just do a recess every day? and then, then my like thinking mind was like, oh, absolutely not. These people are going to get to work. And they're, you know, yeah. I'm like, okay, well, let, let's look, this came in for a reason. Let's like at least explore this. Anyways, we started doing recess about nine months ago. Um, we do recess every day at 1230, a bell goes off in the office, just like in school and everyone cuts off a recess. And then at two o'clock, the bell goes off again. You're back from recess. Now that's also kind of lunchtime but most people choose to eat lunch before or after recess at their desk or at a meeting or whatever. And they really want to make the most of recess, right? So we have our wake surf boat at the office. Our office is right on Lake Austin. Um, so we take people out and they can learn how to wake surf. We've got e-foils at the office. They can learn how to e-foil. We've got paddle boards. You know, we get spike ball. We have like team kickball, snow cone truck will come up. And this isn't like a special occasion. It's every single day people have 90 minutes to do whatever they want. That is the most enjoyable thing. They want to sit and play video games. Fine. You want to take a nap. You want to meditate. You want to read a book, like whatever it is, it just is your time. And what I realize is most adults even don't have 90 minutes a day to do whatever they want. That's like a massive luxury that you kind of have to get to this certain level of, you know, success or, you know, really dialing in your life, especially if you have kids, right? Cause you get home from work. It's like time to be a dad, time to do kid stuff, time to feed the kids. Okay. Get the kids to bed. Now it's like, okay, I got 30 minutes, you know, me and Christy get to hang out yeah. before we go to sleep. And that's not even your time. I mean, obviously you want to spend it with Christy, but like, right. where is Colin's time for him and his, and right. his child? Yeah, that's right. And so, 
you know, that's been a really, really fun and um, I think a very productive, uh, you know, element that we've added to our company is this concept of recess. And, you know, it's, it's not all about being bliss junkies and just playing all the time. It's like, it's, it's really balanced. It is, it really truly is work hard, play hard. Right. So it's like, you know, recess is coming. So let's have a sense of urgency to get as much possible stuff done and as efficiently as possible until 1230. Cause you know, you're going to put it all down for an hour and a half and then come two o'clock. Let's dive back in and sprint for the rest of the afternoon. And so you have kind of two big sprints throughout the day. And I feel like we are not getting any less work done, maybe actually getting more work done than when you're looking at a, at a, you know, eight or nine hour day as one block, people tend to just kind of like, okay, I'm not trying to burn myself out here. It's a marathon. You know what I mean? And, no, and, and post lunch too. We all yeah. feel that. And yeah, post lunch at our place, we have an ice bath in the office. Yeah. So, you know, post lunch, you come in, there's locker rooms downstairs. People have just, maybe they went to the gym and worked out downstairs. Maybe they came off the lake. They jump in the ice bath for two or three minutes. I mean, people are fresh at two o'clock and, and they are diving back into their afternoon. So um, that's been really fun. Dude, it's such a, it, I just, there's so much that comes to mind there for one, so many people that are, you know, in, into a job that's a eight, nine, 10 hour day, they don't have time to work out. Mm -hmm. Some people have the discipline to wake up early and do it. And, and that's great for them, but that doesn't work for a lot of people. So you actually give people that window that is so energy giving to them that they don't have to think about and they get to do it with their friends at work. Hey, That's let's right. go do this workout. And I know Jake, my son worked, um, worked over there in the springtime before summer and friggin' loved it. And I think that's when, yeah, he was telling me all about recess and he loved it. And sometimes he would come home and work out. And yep. for him, it was, um, I mean, he loved working there. He loved the energy of the place. You know, he was one of the younger kids. I know Achilles was there for a bit too while he was there. And so they get to play ping pong yep. together. And, but he just, he felt, um, you know, as a, a kid at that point, was 20, uh, felt really just accepted and at home there with a lot of adults. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think kids especially feel welcome because we honor the, the kid within all of us so much. And we honor the kids that we are working for to help give them a really fun thing to do. That's more active and, and, you know, community building and, and connecting with other humans. Like that's so much our mission that like, we love kids at our office. I mean, parents are always bringing their kids by. We got school groups coming by to learn about how we develop products and we give them all blasters. And, you know, it's, I mean, we, we love young people at our office for sure. Oh, that's so cool. And you know, one of the things you're saying earlier, and it's one, one of the things that stood out for me as, you've grown the company is that um, you really do take time for yourself and your family. And I don't, I don't know if people understand how hard that can be to do because you can be on mission, especially the masculine comes out and it's like, this is what I need to do. And I have all these people relying on me and that all the stories we tell ourselves. And uh, it's very easy to justify. Oh, I, I, I go through it. I don't even have a company, but I, I, I go through my cycles of not taking care of myself. And, uh, you know, the more work I've done on myself, I've, I've 
started to uncover the roots of that as a child and wanting to please and make my mom and dad proud mm -hmm. and all these different things that really drove me to create some very uh, healthy, uh, adaptive skills mm -hmm. that later in life become maladaptive because they're, they're running roughshod over my life. And um, to be able to do that in that environment with the stakes very high is such an impressive feat. And, and I think you're letting everybody else know that this shit's really important to me, but it's not the most important thing to me. Yep. And so this is what it looks like. And I think back when, when I was a trader in Chicago and I, you know, I got hired very early on in a very small group and the main partner, Will Hobart was, he you know, was in the trading industry. I mean, you can imagine what kind of people work in that <laughs> business and he was different and it was family first. And he didn't just say that he lived that and he took time off and he worked his ass off. His family was always first. And wow, that's great. Yeah. So that's what I learned from awesome. him, you know, so I don't think enough people have an experience with that. And so that it's a little bit foreign to them, but to see that you are full embodiment of that. And it's, it is very much on brand with, with gel blaster and go play and what you're trying to create in the world. And, um, remind me again, what it's, uh, March 21st is yeah, go play day. Right. Three, two, one, go play. That's how I remembered it. Three, right. two, one. Yeah. So talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah. We, um, you know, as we, you know, the first, like the role Christie plays in our organization is really, yeah, by the way, this is not normal that, that, you know, a partnership, you know, a marriage that you guys have that, um, both have such a crucial role in this fledgling company. Yes. Yeah. It's, um, you know, we, we work together at DJI and, you know, we're both not aware and, you know, especially me and, you know, just fully driven by ego, fully, you know, type A, just win at all costs, you know, basically what I looked like on season five of the amazing race. Um, yes. yeah. and that, that was really challenging for us to work together. And, and now I have really learned really just how much trust and faith that I put in her connection to all source, her feminine energy, her goddess. Right. And she has done, we have both done a tremendous amount of work over the past decade. And, um, for her, that has really opened up her connection and her channel to, to be our Oracle. Right. And we really, uh, embrace these kind of, um, the polarity of the masculine and feminine. Right. And, and so I feel like as the masculine, I'm here to kind of do and create and provide structure and safety and support and security, you know, almost kind of like in a real time way, right? From within her guidance at the higher level of what we're actually trying to build in the world and why it matters and, and what is most important so as to not let my ego that wants to go out and be really successful and show what a great entrepreneur guy I am, like keeping that in check. Like, no, no, no. What we're actually doing is trying to give kids an awesome thing to do and have fun with and play. And so we have to embody that. And, and I noticed that even just the other day, we, we took a group of people out to Enchanted Rock and kind of had a, you know, ceremony hike, you know, throughout the day. And 
we were really working together hand in hand. She was like our, our shaman medicine woman leading this incredible experience and just being guided over here and being guided over there. And I, and I would realize like, Oh, you know, my, you know, left brain, like we're, we're off the trail and you know, we got a, we're, we're trying to get a seven hour hike done. You know, I was like, we all got to have enough food with us, you know, like y'all are going to be real hungry in about four hours, you know? And, and, and I would like hear that. And I'm like, no, no, just follow her lead. Let her guide and let her intuition lead us. And every time it happened like four times. And every time we just end up in some magical spot that I'd never seen there, this big outcropping of crystals growing out of the ground. And we just get to sit there and be on the crystals and, you know, lay on them, sit in them, touch them, connect with them. And it would be like a five or six minute thing, 10 minute thing, you know? And so then I was like learning, like, see, that worked. Like, don't fight it. Let her guide us at the high level. And then I'll provide the, the structure and support and, and, you know, keeping the, the train moving forward when it needs to. And so we've really learned how to do that. And so as, as it relates to, you know, three, two, one play day, you know, Christy, you know, really helped Chrissy and I did it together, but she really kind of helped channel a lot of our manifesto at, you know, for the company, which is a, a really, really cool manifesto around, um, you know, essentially you know, fostering a global movement uh, around play that, that helps people heal, right. And heal their inner children. And so as part of this mission to bring more play into the world, we figured, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if once a year we do a play day, right. And we started kind of looking into it. And uh, if you do it the same day, four years in a row, you can actually apply to the UN and it will become the international day of play. So the first international day of play was three, two, one of this, this past year. Um, and we actually were on the, the lawn of the Capitol playing gel blaster, playing spike ball. We had pickleball out there. Wes brought uh, Cortex, you know, pickleball set up out. Um, we had DJs and dancing and a bunch of local companies were bringing out their bars and drinks and waters and stuff like that. And, and we actually had maybe another 25 events happening around the world. Um, we've got Patrick Cronfley who ran Unify, the global synchronized meditations. He's our director of, of community. And, and really building our community. So he was able to use a lot of his skill sets to, you know, have a bunch of other events happening throughout the world. And so this year is gonna be our second anniversary or second annual uh, coming up in March. Uh, and we will do it at the Moody center. So we'll have the entire Moody center and it will be a day of play just like before. Um, and the fun thing about this one is that we will have a gel blaster Nexus tournament. So it'll be like our first esport tournament of this video game in the physical world mixed with a day of play and bringing out a lot of local companies and we'll have different events throughout the country and different distributors of ours around the world. We're now in like 60 countries. Uh, we'll be hosting their own day of play. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, it's really exciting just to like, remember what we're doing it for. Talk more about gel blaster nexus. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, so I, while, while we've been selling the foundation of the experience, which is shoot your friends in the face with gelats because it's really fun, you know, lips, you know, earlobes, necks, you know, these are the, these are the best uh, spots, right? So as we've been building that business, we, we have Gwen partners as well, right? Which is our engineering product engineering prototyping firm where we got to work on, you know, the electric powered hydrofoil surfboard for lift foils and, 
you know, uh, one man flying drones that are 18 rotors you sit inside of and fly yourself around, you know, that are, that are, you know, we've got to wear all these really cool high tech products. So that group of engineers has been working on solving hit detection and hit attribution for like the last three years and how we would build out this networked infrastructure of smart IOT devices that fundamentally what I was, what, what I really wanted to accomplish was that you only score by hitting someone with the projectile, right? There's not like, we could have done it where you're just shooting projectiles, but you score like IR, right? Like laser tag. But then you could like miss the person with your gelet and still score points, you know? And I was like, nah, we, you have to score by actually hitting them. And if, you know, you're having to deal with wind or jealous that aren't perfectly accurate, like welcome to the real world, right? And so we wanted to, to find a way to digitize this physical projectile into a signal in the game in, with very, very low latency, right? Mm. So we had to, you know, we, we looked at a lot of different ways of doing this using cameras or computer vision or, you know, sound. Um, ultimately, we ended up using uh, piezoelectric sensors that sense vibration. Turns out it's all vibration when you know. <laughs> um, so we, uh, the gelat creates a vibration when it hits, you know, one of the hit panels. And so you wear a vest, it has hit panels on the arms, the front, the back, the sides. You know, we have good amount of coverage area. Each one of these panels is, is surrounded by RGB LED lights that play different animations depending on what's happening in the game. Um, and then in the background, we actually use an IR signal as well. And that's how we do hit attribution, right? So hit detection is one thing. I've been hit, right? And you could build kind of a game off of that. But if I don't know who it was that actually shot that gel at me, I can't give those points. I can't give that credit to that person, one. And two, I can't deduct a certain amount of health depending on what blaster they are wielding, right? So even though they're shooting the same gel at me, if you have your sniper, your sniper blaster, uh, you know, uh, selected when you're shooting me, for one, you're only going to be able to shoot semi-auto. You're only going to be able to shoot one shot per second because it's kind of a bolt action sniper rifle, right? And, but if you hit my vest with one of those gelets, you're going to do a significant amount of damage to my health, right? If you have your SMG, you know, equipped on the other hand, you're shooting full automatic. Maybe you have a 33 round mag capacity or a 50 round mag capacity, depending on how you've upgraded that blaster. And then of course, when you run out of your kind of digital ammo, which are again, gelets, you have to tilt the blaster to the side and back up. And that's kind of our reload action. Now you've got another magazine loaded, but each time you hit me with that gelet, you're not doing nearly as much damage as say, if you had your revolver or your sniper, right? So you, there's real strategy involved in like what, Am I providing suppressive cover fire or am I like sneaking up behind someone and I got the jump on them? I might switch to my revolver, which is semi-auto six shots, but that does a lot of damage per shot. I can take a full elimination at that point, right? And so Nexus is this like, you know, bringing the, the strategy and the skill required to be, you know, play a first person shooter video game, but into the controls are your body, right? Instead of using the right stick to control where you look, you use your neck muscles. And it, it, instead of using the left stick to control your character forward and back, left and right, you use your leg muscles <laughs> and you run forward and back and left and right. You know, instead of, instead of pushing a button to like kneel down or go prone, 
you just kneel down or lay down or roll or dive or run around, right? And so most of the controls, what I notice when you're playing these video games is just like moving your character around and looking correctly and aiming correctly, all of which you just do with your body. And then of course, to, to shoot, you just pull the trigger and you shoot gelats. And so really our blaster, has got a screen built in and there's just two buttons. And the two buttons allow you to cycle between which blaster you have equipped or to move over to health packs. Because while you're in the arena playing, if one of the portals on the wall are blue, you shoot that portal and that picks up a health pack, right? And so you can pick up weapons upgrades or health upgrades or shield upgrades, depending on what color these portals are that, that light up. And then you're holding onto that health pack. So if your health gets down to you know 20% or something like that, you don't want to give an elimination to the other team because you get a huge points bonus for eliminating a player. Now, when you get eliminated and you lose all your health, your blaster stops working. It doesn't shoot anymore, right? And so th there's no reason for you to just sit out there. You can't just keep shooting someone. Your blaster stops working. You have to run back to your base, point at your own base, pull the trigger, and that respawns you. So you don't have to sit out for 20 minutes and wait for the next game. Ah. You're still playing. You're still in it. You but just the other to, team got a big bonus. Because they get a big points they bonus because they, they got an elimination, right? Yeah. And so you do want to pay attention to that. There's, it, it behooves you and your strategy for your team to win to like, if I'm getting low on health, I want to take cover, switch over, use these two buttons, switch over to health pack, consume each health pack by doing a reload action, oh, shit. get my health back up to 80 or hundred percent, go back to my SMG, go back to my revolver, whatever. I'm back out battling again. And I didn't give up an elimination, right? Um, it, it's gonna, it's gonna be really fun. Come on, I mean, it's gonna be really fun. So yeah. this is gonna be ready for uh, March twenty first this year at Moody Center. Yes, it will be. And in fact, we're gonna be launching this in just maybe four weeks at Ayapa in Florida, which is the the trade show where amusements and attractions are sold to family entertainment centers and location based entertainment businesses. Um, and in fact, next week, we will be playing our first three-on-three -three prototype of this experience with vests, smart blasters, targets, full software. So, you know, if you're around, you want to yeah. come play the inaugural Hell game, yeah. let me know. So that yeah. is ready to go. Yeah. And we, we just launched main event. So main Talk event about up, that, yeah. up on 183. Yep. Um, we converted their whole climbing gym, which wasn't really getting any business for them, I guess. They wanted us to convert it to a big gel blaster arena. And so that just opened last week. Um, so now kids are are going in and uh playing gel blaster. Now they're using our they're using everything that you could buy at like a Target or a Walmart today, which is just our core blasters. We we have the glow in the dark system going, which is the Starfire system. So every gelet that's flying through the air is glowing. So it gives us really cool effect. And then we have a bunch of our smart targets that are all Wi-Fi mesh network together. And so on one wall, you have a group of five targets with a couple targets on the outside. So seven targets total that act as that team's base. And if you go and shoot each target, you have to shoot it two times to take down that target. If you get all seven of them taken down before they start regenerating, you get a huge point, point bonus. And so we're trying to create a gameplay that, that kind of equally rewards defense and offense. So if you're a younger kid and you don't really want to get shot much, you can take cover by your base and just shoot the people that are coming at you trying to score points, right? And that gives something for like a little bit more of a timid player to do where they're getting to shoot a bunch, but they're not really getting hit as much. You're an older player. You're more of a risk taker. You can be a forward or more of an, an attacker. You going to the other team's side of the, 
the, the arena and trying to shoot their base. And then you're going to be getting lit up. Right. And so they're playing that now, which is actually really, really fun. Now we don't have hit detection vests and smart blasters. So we're missing a huge element of the gameplay. But what is so interesting is to see how much kids love just scoring on targets, right? And we don't even have the vest yet and the smart blasters. So um, yeah, definitely come come play at main event. Super fun. That's that's going. Um, I think right now we're kind of doing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sundays. Um, we just opened, like I said, was our, our first weekend, full, first full weekend open was this past weekend. Um, and then we'll have a little hidden area up there where we're going to be um, prototyping and building out this digital uh, Nexus experience. And so that'll be kind of happening behind a curtain, like actually behind a curtain. Mm. Um, and, and we'll be kind of dialing in this, uh, this three-on-three gameplay that we'll be taking to IAPA in about a month and launching there. And so what's the goal at IAPA? It's to open up a bunch of these uh, Gel Blaster Nexus centers. That's right. That's right. So the goal is to identify our 200 launch partners, our 200 launch locations. We want Gel Blaster Nexus to be available in 200 locations next year where, you know, and the whole gameplay ties in with what you're doing at home. So if you have our portals in your yard, you can play the same games and you can be building your character stats and grinding and upgrading your weaponry and upgrading, you know, earning points. And then you, you actually book your game at call it a main event or some laser tag center. You book your game through the app. And then you, if you're tied in with the system, you can actually control which blasters and what your blaster attributes are because you've, I, you've kind of set that up yourself on your app, you know, before you got there at home. So you can be kind of customizing your specific loadout the way you want it. And so if you have a flashlight optic on one of your, on your SMG, right? When you select SMG, a super bright flashlight turns on, on the, on the front of the blaster. And I'm talking like bright, we might have to turn it down. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Our, one of our lead engineers, uh, the president at Gwen partners, uh, his name is Aaron. And he was one of the, he was maybe like the lead engineer of tracking point, which is the smart rifle. That was a Texas-based company. Um, and uh, he, he kind of, so he's engineered some pretty incredible tech. And I was like, I want, when you, when you do the flashlight optic, I want the flashlight optic to be something that has levels, right? And if you level up enough where you have like the level five flashlight optic, when you equip it, it's like going to make it hard to respond when, <laughs> when you're getting shined at, right? Wow. And, uh, you know, if, if your blaster has glow in the dark, you can, when you select that blaster, UV lights turn on, on the inside of the blaster, which charge up the gelets with, with the phosphorus inside. And all of a sudden there's glowing gelets. Maybe, you know, down the road when you're, when you're picking up different at, you know, different power-ups, one power-up might be that you, you turn all of the other teams glow in the dark off for 30 seconds. So they're like shooting in the dark. They can't see where their ammo's flying, you know, all kinds of different stuff you can do. Right. So by programmatically being able to control the blaster. So we control the rate of fire. So how many shots per second, whether it's semi-auto, triple shot burst, full auto. So firing mode, rate of fire, how many shots per second? It might be five shots per second. It might be, you get some super power up. It might be 14 shots per second where you're like really sending a bunch of ammo. Um, We control the velocity. So there'll be a little worm drive servo motor that controls the preloading of a spring inside the, the blaster. So if you have a certain blaster or if you go up into the sniper tower 
in the arena, depending on where your location is, depending on what blaster you have, depending on your level, it actually can control the velocity of the gelet. So that's how far you can be, you know, your, your kind of your uh, effective range, right? Um, we can control how many points of damage you do per shot. Um, and so because, you know, we can control the, whether the flashlight comes on and off, whether the glow in the dark comes on and off. So all of this stuff that you have one blast in your hand, it can actually represent infinitely many blasters in the, in the digital game that you're playing. Um, so. Holy shit. Yeah. Who did you have to bring on people from other video game companies and and, into, to create stuff like this? Like how, how, I mean, this is, you know, interestingly, this is intense. Holy shit. Yeah. You know, it's funny because when, when we built Jablash, I was like, maybe it doesn't have to be so complex like drones. I've been doing such complex products for so long. I'm like, it can just be simple. Just, they just shoot gelets, you know? Yeah. And then here we go, you know, making it super complex um, as we do. But drones are pretty cool if you play with them, you know, and, and the reason they work so well is because there's a lot of complex tech happening in the background. Um, now, interestingly, we have used a lot of our drone technology to build this actually as quickly as we've been able to. So the same um, messaging protocols and the way that you control swarms of drones or swarms of robotics with these lightweight uh, Mavlink messaging protocols, that's actually what we're using to, to do all of the distributed compute power and run all the game logic. So the game logic is actually run within these devices, the blaster, the vest, the portals, they all have this ESP32 system on chip that, that is a a kind of a lightweight processor, but totally powerful enough to run our game logic. Now you got to realize that most of what in the gaming industry, most of what taxes a gaming computer are the graphics, right? They want to create the most realistic looking environment with you know, great looking uh, ray tracing and lighting effects and all of that. Guess what? I'm looking at ray tracing right now. I'm, yeah. I, we are in it. So we have, our reality is already an incredibly high poly count matrix that we're living in that we perceive as this like physical reality. But that all comes for free with the compute power of our brain. Yeah. Right. So all we're building are like basic, basic first person shooter mechanics into this system. So it's really kind of like the Atari of this new type of spatial computing. And so while we've used a lot of tech from the drone industry that you use to control a lot of devices that are all talking to each other, we use another piece of tech that took us maybe six or so years to build was the ability to monitor, um, batteries that are charging in the field for electric vehicle companies, for lift foils, for example, they want to be able to see and monitor the health of every one of their batteries or every one of their systems. So we're using that same tech in here to monitor the health of every blaster, every vest, every target. We can see every shot, every gelet that has been shot from every blaster. We know how many times each hit panel has been hit. So we can identify, hey, on this vest, every panel has been hit 15 times in the last couple of days, except for this one panel hasn't been hit once. Uh, Is that right? That may not be right. Maybe that's a bad panel. And so we can, we can basically like, um, kind of maintain, provide kind of preventative maintenance to these systems because we can immediately see that something's going wrong with one of our, with one of, one of our products. Right. So while we have taken a lot from what we've done in the drone space, 
we have only hired a couple of people now from the gaming world, which is really cool. We actually, um, the head of developer relations for Magic Leap, which is one of the big um, augmented reality technology companies out there, has now uh, joined our team and is really in charge of like the gameplay and how sticky it is and how fun it is. So far, all the basic concepts are stuff that I specced out a while ago, but it's not like I invented any of these things. These, these are just like, if you look at any first person shooter, you have a certain amount of ammo, you have to reload sometimes. Different blasters have different attributes and do different amounts of damage. The map is super important. You have a certain amount of health. You don't just one shot, you're eliminated, right? You have a certain amount of health. Um, you can pick up health packs and, and, you know, med packs and things like that. So we're just taking like the core elements that exist really across all first person shooters. And that's what our initial experience will be. And, and obviously we'll have so much room for growth if we want to go kind of the apex legends route where, you know, each character on your team has different skills and abilities. Maybe one's a better defender, one's better offense, one's a medic, right. And, and has different skill sets and abilities. But, you know, initially all we have to do is basically follow the path that was set by, you know, $150 billion a year market of first person shooter video games and say, the things that all of those have, let's make sure we have all those things. And then let's build this. And the thing that we're going to have that they don't have is that it actually hurts a little bit when you get hit and you can feel it and you're running around and you use your, your human body as the controller and you are your avatar. So if you want to run faster, then you should learn how to run faster. <laughs> if, if you want to be more agile and you want to jump over the barricades better, maybe you should go take some parkour classes and jump over the barricades better. I mean, it's like you are your own avatar in life. So take care of your avatar. Right. And so it's this, uh, oh, damn. it's pretty fun. Yeah. That's so rad. <laughs> well, it's interesting too. Like you bring up uh, your, your, I mean, gosh, how long were you in the drone world for? I mean, I guess technically you still are, but still in it. Yeah. Maybe 15 years now, something like that. So obviously you brought over the technology has helped out, but there, there was other stuff there when you, you were in that space, other lessons, I think that have helped shape you to who you are and how you're moving forward with gel blasters. And so like, I'd love to get into that for a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, a lot of my personal growth and development and the work that I did, um, was maybe kind of spurred by my experience with DJI and, you know, um, it was a, it was a wild ride, right? I, I was on a journey to try to, I was building my own custom helicopters. I was on a journey to try to find a way to stabilize the camera better. I was using this autopilot system from a, a company named DJI that had like 13 engineers in Shenzhen that were making these little autopilots. And I realized, wow, they already have most of the algorithms written that stabilize my RC helicopter that we could use to stabilize the camera head and shoot more stable video. So that's kind of how I engaged with them. I ended up hiring them as a contract engineering firm to, to build this gimbal. Once that gimbal was built, it was the first ever three axis stabilized brushless motor gimbal ever. Maybe like even the military gimbals that were super high end, those are used for targeting for laser designating. And so they don't actually care about the roll axis because a laser beam can spin. It doesn't matter. Whereas your video image, you need to stabilize the roll axis as well. So, so the gimbal is the thing that keeps it. Yeah. The gimbal does your, your pitch, yaw and roll stabilization. Whereas like with these high end drone military gimbals, they were just doing pitch and yaw. That's, that's all that mattered. Um, and so we, 
once we saw that working, it was like, oh, wow, this is going to change the whole game. Like every piece of content, every TV show, commercial, movie, are, they're all going to use this tech because you can put a camera wherever you want. You can start with two feet off the ground and go up to 400 feet in the air, whatever you want to do. Um, and so we decided we would, we would start this, you know, instead of me being the only customer of this device, I was like, hey, we should just sell these to the world because everyone's going to want these things. And so they said, okay, well, you can be, why don't you start DJI North America? You can be kind of founder and CEO of DJI North America and you'll oversee all things flying camera. You'll help with the sales and marketing message and, and defining the products. And then we've got the engineers here and the manufacturing capability to build the stuff. And at that time, they're like, we don't actually have any funding to start this office. Like you're going to need to do that on your own. And the way we can do it is we'll make like 50 of these gimbals that you've specked out and that we built for you. We'll make like 50 of them. If you can sell them to people, then you can use that money to kind of get the money, the business off the ground. And then you can pay us back for those later, kind of as like this master distributor relationship between North America and, and global. Um, ultimately we sold them and we sold a lot more and we grew from 3 million in revenue. Uh, we went three to like 20 to 135 to 450 to over a billion each year. So 3 million to a billion in like five years. And so as it, you know, it, it, it was really wild creating this industry and seeing how drones were being used. I mean, I'm, you know, I got to go in and fly with Elon Musk at SpaceX and fly one of our prototype drones around with him over the Falcon 9, you know, uh, prototype uh, boosters, right? I got to go down and hang out with Richard Branson on his island and teach him how to fly drones. I, you know, taught Steven Spielberg how to fly his first drone. I mean, 60 Minutes came down and did a big thing on us with drones. I mean, it was just crazy. It was just, I, I, I went to a congressional hearing and flew a drone inside as I testified in Congress for what these drones could do to save <laughs> lives and how we needed to be able to use them for commercial purposes. You know, and here I am in a suit on C-SPAN and I like flew a little drone around inside to show like drones are not what you guys are all thinking. These big giant things that are killing people in Afghanistan, they can be these, these little flying cameras. Um, and that was by the way, Christy, who was like, we need to take the word drone back because we were so scared of using it. Yeah. Drone always, strikes. Yeah. We always used to just say flying camera, UAV, small UAV, something like that. And she was like, no, just, let's just call them drones. These things are going to become bigger and more prolific than the other drones that people are used to. Um, anyway, so uh, that was obviously a, a wild experience as we're growing so fast. And, you know, I, I had 48% of DJI North America. They own 52% as the, as the kind of um, global brand. And so when we're doing that kind of revenue and we're growing that much, it's like, okay, cool. Like I'm set, I'm, I'm done. Like it, the, the value of my equity in this thing is, is so much like I, I, after this run, I'm going to just get to do whatever I want. If I want to keep working and building stuff, if I want to just, you know, gallivant around the world and, and my private jet, I mean, I can do whatever I want. And it was very interesting as a young person to like have, be experiencing that kind of success and growth in the company and, and realizing like, you know, and, and I'm, you know, how much that like made me feel proud and worthy of my dad's love and check me out. I, I I've earned it, you know? Um, and then basically once, once the business was kind of a foregone conclusion of success, I think the board in China 
who was kind of not even paying that much attention. We just had this meteoric success was kind of like, who's this white guy in Texas that has 48% of our largest global market? Um, we don't need to do that anymore. And so they approached me and said, Hey, we want to, we want to buy out your 48% of North America and give you a percentage of the global company in exchange and have it be all one company. And you really be the chief innovation officer, you know, coming up with all the cool products that we should make. Right. And uh, now that a sales and marketing, our brand is built, all of that, we really want you focusing on product. And so I was like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm open to that concept. And so I said, why don't you come out to China and, you know, put together some numbers and present to us, you know, what percentage of the global company that you think you should get for your 48% of North America. We hire an accounting firm. We hire outside auditors to tr figure all this stuff out, this massive report. And I get out to China and, and they're like, hey, let, let, us, let us share with you our, our numbers first. I'm like, okay, cool. They pulled up a, sh a screen share of like a two line Excel spreadsheet. And I'm like, mm, this looks lightweight. <laughs> I'm like, okay, <laughs> where are we going here? And uh, they go, so based on our calculations, if you stay doing aerial cinematography, remember this is years earlier, I had been doing aerial cinematography and you hired three crews and you were able to go on, you know, 10 shoots per week of, of daily video shoots. They're, they're kind of specking out this whole thing, you know, and, and you made this much profit and you were one of the top aerial cinematography outfits, you know, you would probably make like a million dollars a year, you know? And I'm like, um, okay, again, <laughs> where are we going with this? And we want you to do even better than that. So, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is the calculus. I'm like, guys, that was years ago. I'm like, remember where all this came from. And so they said, we want to, we want to offer you 0.3% of the global company in exchange for your 48% of North America. And I was like, in that moment, I was like, oh, holy shit. This is I was not expecting this. And that was an interesting journey. You know, I, I, I ultimately said, well, you know, we have a contract in place. I am the exclusive distributor of these products in North America. The contract's in place for another three years. I'll just stack paper for three years and be on my way. Like, I'm going to keep exactly what we have. No, thanks. I'm not going to do that because then I also have 0.3% of a Shenzhen based company. I have absolutely no say in what those shares are versus 48% of a Texas LLC. Right. So after a couple of months, um, you know, of kind of like slowly extracting how we were doing things, how we were making the content, how we were building the brand. Um, we walked in one day, it was actually December 23rd, two days before Christmas and all of our emails were turned off. I was like, Oh, interesting. I, I look on my phone, I log into bank of America. There was like $8 million in our account. I log in, it was like 50 grand. <laughs> I'm like, Okay. Frank and I were the only two signers on the account. All the money's gone. And then an email goes out to all of our dealers across North America saying, Hey, just so you know, uh, Colin's no longer part of DJI. He actually wasn't ever really part of DJI to begin with. He was just kind of a, a representative of ours. Um, so anyways, all future orders, go ahead and direct them to your new salesperson. And they introduce their headquarter based salesperson to them. And, uh, and so, yeah, it was like, wow, this is like, I'm in the twilight zone.
And so we, uh, it was, it was really at that time, the only time I had initiated a lawsuit in my life. Um, and we, you know, we immediately got a, uh, an injunction on their sales. Uh, the judge here in Austin was like, this is very obvious what's going on. Um, and we kind of battled back and forth leading up to the trial. You know, they, uh, they wanted to settle. They didn't want to, you know, I, I didn't want to have to battle them for seven years for some settlement, you know, yep. you know for some, from, you know, some, uh, uh, whatever a jury would say it was worth. Um, so we ended up settling and I got, you know, it was a decent little win, a very, 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 you know, maybe 1% of what it, you know, was probably actually valued. Um, and so that was, uh, that was an interesting time, you know, to, to go through that and be like, wow, I'm starting over. And will I ever have another opportunity to be part of creating something from scratch and like getting to, you know, grab the, you know, tiger by the tail and just like in this explosive new thing. And so, um, that was actually what I would do a lot of my manifestation meditations on was picturing being part of a hyper growth scenario again in the future that, you know, creating something and building something that people love so much, they just wanted more of it. And we were trying to just address the demand and, and what that felt like in the drone industry and, and really tapping into that feeling. And I think that's what let me be open to the concept of gel blaster when I saw the hole that existed in the market. Cause I'm not a toy guy. I'm not a gaming guy. I'm, I was like a drone robotics innovator. And, but because I could see, oh, wow, this could be one of those things that is like new and unique and different and, and engaging enough that it could be like an explosive growth, you know, kind of category creator situation. Um, but yeah, that, that, post DJI time and, you know, feeling shame and feeling like, you know, wow, I've gone from this like super successful tech entrepreneur guy that like, you know, I'm hanging out with Larry Page and all these like big tech entrepreneurs are like, yeah, you taught me how to fly my first drone. And, you know, now all of a sudden it's nothing. It's all taken away. I don't even, they pulled all the money out of the bank account. I lost my email. A letter goes out to everyone saying he was never really part of anything to begin with. and you know, it was like, how do I even, how am I going to show my face to all my, you know, cool entrepreneur, successful friends in Austin, you know? And, and I had to really like sit with that ego death of, you know, I was really kind of deriving my sense of self-worth to, which ultimately started with my dad younger, wanting to like be, you know, kind of like achieve enough to be worthy of his love and his attention. Um, which then, you know, just kind of perpetuated through into life. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was a big learning lesson. I mean, talk about an ass kicking, you know? Yeah, that's, thanks for sharing that. That's, um, obviously very personal and it's, uh, it shows, you know, I mean, you talked about it earlier, you know, how you're approaching this kind of you know, next chapter at Gel Blaster and how that, that ego is in check. There's many balance checks and balances in there for you, you know, um, obviously with, you know, uh, kind of giving way to Christy and her intuitive nature and her being really a, a guide there, but also with what you've learned and, um, oof, dude, just, uh, I, I, I think what, your story is resonant for so many people, not on that scale, 
that's that's rare um but the lesson in where that a lot of that comes from and i mentioned earlier i mean it's very similar for me and the driving force for a lot of good and a lot of learning and a A lot lot of unlearning a lot of unlearning (laughs) and it's and it's it's that awareness you know that Oh, I'm here in this position because I forgot who I was. I forgot what was really important. And that's okay as long as I'm willing to let go of those things. And, um, but those shiny toys and the meeting the people and this is, you know, I have my own version of that. And it's cool and it's awesome and it's fun and it's energizing. And, it has to be kept in its proper place or shit gets real and you're like, I'm, I'm a fucking fraud. Yeah. Who am I? Yep. You know? Um, yeah. You find yourself in a situation. How the fuck did I get here? It's like, Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it because of me. Yep. And uh, you know, I love probably what I love most about that story is just your accountability in that. You know, and just like, you know what? I have some responsibility in this and it would be very easy. I don't think anyone would would think uh, differently if you were just like, those guys completely fucked me. I was not my fault at all. And I've never heard you. You've always, in my my opinion, taken more responsibility probably than, than, but, but, but I think that's part of it. It's like, fuck it. I'll take it all. I'll take as much as I can. You know, I think once I had, once I had realized just how much we really are just manifesting all day, every day, whether we like it or not, whether we're doing it intentionally or not, right? We are, we are only receiving a reality that we are, that we are creating in our minds. It just takes a little bit longer for the reality to come into the physical, right? And so there were several things that I did along that way that, that caused that outcome. You know, it was not a, it was not a one-sided street. It was very co-participatory. And even more so is after that happened, I was so, I felt so wronged by DJI and I was being uh, recruited by uh, Chris Anderson and 3D Robotics to come, you know, a a U.S.-based drone company to build a a competing drone. And we did, we built the solo drone um, and came out with some really cool new innovations that, that, um, that we, we dreamt up that DJI didn't have. And, um, but I made some really poor decisions along that journey that, cause I was in such a rush to try and beat DJI and get them back. Right. That I wasn't making decisions in the most clear headed way that was the most appropriate for where we were. I wanted to go so big, so fast and launch at big box retail, launch Best Buy chain wide internationally before the product was even done, I'm just trusting the engineers that what they say is true and it's going to actually happen. Of course, it can only be their best guess, right? And, you know, we were supposed to have our costs. We're, we're going to be like $400 per unit by the time we launched. And so we're negotiating our deals with Best Buy. It's going to be $1,000 retail. We're going to sell it to them for $675, you know, and, and, uh, then as the timeline started getting more and more compressed and we were getting closer and closer to ship date, all of a sudden our CMs, our contract manufacturers were like, well, we have to spot buy all these things. We're going to have to put like 
we're going to have to, you know, increase costs here and here to make it fast enough to meet your timeline. So your first 10,000 units are actually going to be 608 coming off the line. And if we're selling at 675, like we are losing significant money, at, you know, with adding in like the cost of doing any kind of business, right? So, but they're like, but don't worry. After this 10,000 units, we're going to be able to get the cost down. But we actually were selling so fast. We actually outsold the Phantom 3 when we launched the solo drone. Um, and we became the top drone. So we grew from like 5 million in revenue to 100 million in revenue in maybe 18 months. And so we didn't have time to make those changes to the product. And so every time we'd order another 10,000, it was still 608. It was still 608. It was still 608. And so we weren't making any money. We were losing money as we're doing a hundred million, or I think we did 90 million, 89 million, something like that in revenue that, that first year with the product, we're losing money out the wazoo because we could never get our cost structure right because we moved so fast. And so then as we were leading into Christmas, DJI, who is now like on their 17th drone, right? And they're a thousands of person company and they own all their own manufacturing. Learned so many lessons there because we were using contract engineers, contract manufacturers, supply chain consultants. There were so many hands in the pie, right? So DJI is like, okay, they're outselling the Phantom 3 with the Solo currently. The Phantom 3 was $1,200, but it came with a camera and a video downlink and everything. We were 1000 for the drone, 400 for the gimbal. So we were at 1400 but you also had to put your own GoPro in it. So we partnered with GoPro so you could control the GoPro camera through our app, through the drone, through the gimbal interface. So we're like at 1400 to their 1200, but their 1200 came with a camera. Our 1400, you still had to use your own GoPro, but we were still, we were hanging in there because we had incredible sales and marketing. We had some really cool innovations that, that they didn't have. And um, so they're leading into Christmas. They're like, here, watch this, 499 no. for, the, for the Phantom 3. <laughs> From no. 1200 to 499. And now we're like, oh shit, they're at 500 bucks. We're at 1400 without a camera. Our sales, it was like a spigot just turned off, right? I mean, the Phantom 3 is a great drone. I mean, you know, I had a part in, in building that one too, right? I mean, it, it, it's, it's a great product and, and DJI makes a great product, but they literally just turned off the spigot. So we'll take a loss for a little while just to oh, get yeah. you guys out of business. Yeah, and, and, and actually, you know, just to be fair, I don't actually even think that they cared that much about us at 3DR where this young tech company startup, okay. they were really trying to dissuade the Sony's and LG's and Samsung's and Apple's of the world from getting into the drone market. This was always, and I got to give it to Frank, uh, my partner at DJI. He really had a plan the whole time. And he was like, we're going to, we're going to sneakily get big. And then once we're too big to ignore that this consumer drone industry is too big to ignore, we're going to deprofitize and and demonetize it so much that all these big tech companies that are going to think about making their own drone are going to pull out their calculator and be like, wait a second, this thing does X, Y, Z. It has these high def cameras. It flies super far away. It defies gravity. It has a video downlink and they're selling it for 500 bucks. Like that's not, we can't even make it for $500, right? So that buys them another several years of keeping the big guys out. Right. And so that was part of the strategy. And obviously it lined up perfectly with timing to, to just crush 3DR, but it's not like that was a big feat for them. I don't think they were ever that worried about us. Um, the timing yeah. of it was just terrible. For I you mean, guys. it was just, it just turned off the spigot and, and 
the thought of trying to chase them down when, oh. we, when we were already losing money, <laughs> yeah. we're already losing money on every unit. Yeah. We can't chase them down. And so, yeah, that, uh, that was, that was a big loss. And, you know, we basically ended up having to shutter the hardware side of the business. We focused more on, on, uh, drone data and analytics and, you know, kind of enterprise drone use for construction sites and things like that. The co company was ultimately acquired by Autodesk, you know, and it was, it was okay of a, of an outcome, I guess. Um, but you know, again, we were on a rocket ship and, you know, but it, but it wasn't built on sound fundamentals, right? We didn't have the sound fundamentals of a highly profitable product that, because this, if we were selling this thing and we were taking a loss, then even though people like the product, it doesn't, it doesn't really exist. It's not real. That's fake. Like what I tell entrepreneurs that want to get into a business is like, you need to be selling your thing at a profit, at a healthy gross margin from day one. Otherwise you're just fooling yourself. Because if I had to sell gel blasters at $10, well, people would really love them at $10 but it would be less than my cost and it would be fake, right? It wouldn't be that, that, that product can't be sold at $10 in any kind of scalable, you know, uh, uh, sustainable way. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a big one where I really was like on a mission to prove myself on a mission to get back at DJI. We could have taken that thing a lot slower. We could have, you know, gone direct to consumer for a while first, you know, who knows, maybe we could have stuck in long enough, even with them crushing down the pricing, we wouldn't have had so much inventory and channel. Um, but yeah, that was, that was another big, big learning lesson. Well, you've, you've implemented that, you know, as you said, with Christy being, you know, that one that's like, let's, why, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? It's to feed Colin's ego. No, it's not. It's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It's like, but, um, I think it's pretty rare and, uh, Oh, it's the ego part is interesting um, because utilizing my ego to help create is actually a very powerful tool yes. for me and really partnering with my ego. And I love that from East Forest. I've heard him say that. Yeah. 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 I love and, that. and realizing that like, it's not about like not having an ego. Like I love when I meet people that are like kind of new in the work, you know, and they're like, you know, you meet any of those people here in Austin? No, very few, very <laughs> few, just few and far between. And by the way, we say this because we were both new in this work too. At one point, we were those same people that oh, we're yeah. going to laugh at right now. Yeah, for sure. Right. It's that with love. It's like, okay. Yep. I think, I, I think I did it. I'm done. As of last week, my ego is eliminated. <laughs> you know, I have, I have no more ego. I had a guy sitting in my office very recently, a very high power, big, you know, and he was like, you know, I'm, I'm done. I don't have an ego anymore. I don't have any. I'm like, cool. Good. Okay. You know, <laughs> early on in the journey, yeah. whatever I was in a similar place. Um, but then I think we realized like you, you, in order to like hold these cells together and convince this energetic system that we're separate from the all that is like that requires some ego to like create our little individualized um aspect of consciousness right our own unique flavor and you know so i mean i have a massive ego i've had a massive ego my whole life always comp compete 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 earn my dad's love you know be the best um always comparing 
you know, compare, 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 you know, how do I stack up? How do I rank against all these other people? And, um, I think at that time it was just that I thought that that was kind of all that there was. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was that, that was all of who I was, was that ego. And then as I realized that that's just the like small part of me that is the, like, does the monkey dance of, you know, Colin in this reality. And there's actually a much, much bigger part of myself that I don't always necessarily have, or I actually from a percentage basis, probably rarely have access to that awareness of that much larger part of myself. Because just by definition, me sitting here and like using my vocal cords to make noises and use my brain to process thoughts and make sounds that sound like words that can string together to have somebody understand what we're talking about. Like that requires my ego to like animate this small version of myself. But also my ego is what wants to like win the pickleball match or, you know, win the golf hole when we're playing golf or, you know, be able to foil really well and like have that competitive nature. Right. And, and so I want to, I want to utilize that competitive spirit and that competitive nature. And this is something that Chrissy and I really experimented with and really went all in on, on our second round of the amazing race. We were able to kind of manifest getting back on the race to try out all of these tools and see how it would work in this like very engineered and controlled environment where we didn't have control of how we came across or, you know, we're, we're in their game, right? Just, I want to give you, so it's that time. Do oh, yeah. you, do you have time for this story or do you have to be on the road? Uh, we, yeah, I mean, it's not too much. Yeah. I, I can, I can, we'll wrap up pretty quick. Okay. But you know, it was, it was ultimately like, how can we leverage wanting to win and wanting to, you know, being all in for the win and being all in on the competition, but not attached to the win. And that is something that has really stuck with me over these last five or six years and growing gel blaster. It is so hard sometimes to not get attached to the win. You start seeing where it's going. You start thinking about where you're going to be in two years and what that's going to mean and what you're going to have the ability to do. And, you know, you start kind of like becoming attached to like, I don't want that to not be the case, you know, and sure. finding that balance of being all in and being competitive and wanting to win, but not letting that be the only part, not letting that be the, the main driver, just a tool in the tool bag. Um, it has really been my, my, my work that I've been doing over the last five years. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's, that's a great point. And I, and I think, you know, we were joking about it earlier, but you have this kind of awareness about, Oh fuck, I've been on this one track and this is the only shit that seems to be important. And then you're like, well, it's, it's not that important. And then you're like, Oh, it's not important at all. And that's where the ego death and, and all that I try to separate from, from that. Um, and then I think ideally you settle somewhere in the middle and it's, yeah. it's like, you're no longer the hammer and everything's a nail. It's that it's nuanced to when you bring that, that part of you out. And I'm like you, I think it, it comes out more than, you know, I, if I had this judge it like, yeah, I wish it was out a little less. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's been a main operating system for so long. And with a, a lot of, great results. And I think a, a lot of, uh, other results and that's even putting like a, a judgment on that, but 
other results that maybe don't you don't even realize are being caused by that thing. You kind of slide it under the rug. Ah, yeah, that, was, yeah, that wasn't yeah. me. Yeah, exactly. But it's um, I think when that when that those pieces of you are kind of married and they're in that flow, it can be really exciting and you can not care and care and you can just hold both of those things. And I think that's where, you know, the dance was for me of like, just like letting go of all of it and like, like everything and not really caring to like slowly come like, well, this is still who, this is still some stuff that lights me up. It's just like, what, can it not just be the North star? Can it just be a part of the direction I'm heading and it's part of the journey? And if it happens, cool. And, you know, I've, I've talked about this a lot, you know, on here about um, different investments I've done and the investment, you know, I did, um, I got together with you and I got together with feel free around the same time. And it was the first time that I had felt, I, I remember I was in the sauna one day, you know, it was, it was six, eight, 10 months later. It's like, Oh, actually I'm not going for an exit here. Like it's part of the equation. And yeah, that's, you don't invest without hoping there's a good exit, but I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not looking forward to the exit because that means that journey is over in a lot of ways. And I, and I've, I've just enjoyed the process of being, uh, you know, in partnership and support in whatever you want to call it with you and gel blasters and the team. And it's been such a fun ride to be a part of that. Um, the old me would, would be more focused on the multiple and when's the exit going to be and all that. And that, that's like the, the icing, you know, the cherry on the top of the, whatever the fucking thing is. Yeah. The, 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 the cake is the journey. Yeah. And if you can enjoy that part and it's not just looking for that outcome, you know, and, and then the outcome is almost like bittersweet, right? Like, okay, exactly. cool. Like we're done playing together in this form, in this container. And that was really fun doing that. And so there's a part of, part of that that's gone now, right? So, yes. you know, we want those exits to be somewhat bittersweet, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I found, yeah, for me, it was just like when I really started embracing curiosity mixed with the willingness to be totally honest with myself. Those two things, when I would go into kind of contemplation space or meditation about why I was showing up a certain way, you know, it was just being like really curious, like what makes me tick? What makes us animate? What is this reality that we're living in? What is the nature of consciousness? You know, I'm just so curious by it. I'm so curious. And if I can leverage that, deep curiosity and then be willing to let anything be true. Like those times when you say, Oh, Oh yeah, yeah. That wasn't my ego. You know that? Yeah. Maybe let me just experiment with letting it be true that I fully caused that from my own ego and my own desire to show how cool and awesome and great I am and, and be better than the next guy or whatever. Let me just play with that and let that be true for a moment. Right. And then it's like, ah, okay, yeah, it turns out that is exactly what happened, right? But then as I would allow that truth to be there, it kind of let me see things from from deeper. And while I was only seeing the shadow aspect of some part of me, if I can use deep curiosity and truth 
to dive a little deeper and go a little bit deeper in my understanding, then I could like look up instead of looking down at something and seeing the shadow, I could look up at some place where I was stuck and see the light side of it. See the eight year old kid that was just looking for more attention from his dad and built this program that has stuck with me that now is manifest in this way. Now I have like real understanding, right? Which equals compassion and forgiveness for self. And then it just kind of like lets those things not be so prevalent in my, in my everyday decision-making. Well said. Where can people find gel blasters? Gelblaster.com. Oh. Everywhere. 20,000 retail stores. Fuck. 20,000. <laughs> yeah. And then keep an eye out for Gel Blaster Nexus at main event and many more uh, locations after we head down to Orlando. Absolutely. Absolutely. Come awesome. see us at IAPA. I love you, brother. Thanks for being here. Love you so much, Cal. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. You've been listening to The Great Unlearn. For more information, check out the show notes or head over to thegreatunlearn.com for additional episodes and information regarding events, retreats, and the TGU store. If you like what you heard today, please click subscribe and share this with friends who might enjoy our platform. Don't forget to leave that five-star rating and review as it really helps us spread the love and unlearning. You can find me on Instagram at cal.callahan and on YouTube under The Great Unlearn. Thanks for listening to The Great Unlearn, and we'll talk soon. No, no different, only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned.